Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. When you become a member, enter Suburban Folk in the podcast that you heard about them. If you need help with editing, music production, or anything else related to your podcast, reach out to me at greg at suburbanfolk.com to discuss how I can help you get your voice heard. Health, travel, finance, parenting, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. $250 a month into my child's 529 from the month that they start kindergarten, I should be able to pay for 80% of my child's college. Because I don't trust that most people will eat their vegetables. So usually our kind of standard is three servings of vegetables per meal. You take something like a a two by six and you cut it with a circular saw. That's like a superpower. Those middle school years are not as fun, but... At that age, they're still willing to talk to you. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg. Of course, we cover all things suburbia, but we've never talked about where the suburbs came from. Today, we'll focus on the history, what generations created the suburbs, which generations grew up in the suburbs afterward, and where we are now in the present, specifically the current trends of building urban-style communities within the suburbs and how it's meant to attract millennials. We'll also get into how the different generations interact with each other. My guest is Steve McChesney. He's a U.S. Army veteran, former stuntman, trainer focusing on copywriting and business writing, and he's the owner of Imagine Marketing and Walking Tours, Inc. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you joining the show today. How are you doing? Greg, it is great to be here. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I'm doing great. Thanks. (laughs) Awesome. Giving the listeners some quick history about how and when we connected. I had just come off an episode, episode 39, Future of Suburbia. And when I started to listen to your show, there are really cool profiles about different generations from the marketing perspective, of course. But looking at it from the lens of suburbia, we started chatting about what did the history look like? How did we get to where we are now, which fits in with that future episode that we had just done? So before we dive right in, do you want to go ahead and give a little bit of background about yourself, maybe what your relationship to the suburbs is? Well, sure. The nice thing about my show, and you were listening to the different things about the generations, obviously I'm a marketing and business guy, sales guy, but really what it's about is people because you have a customer and you've got a supplier, but it's all about people. So my background, I was actually born and raised in Hollywood, California, went into the army, came out of the army and got into the movie business. I was a stuntman. Uh, I did over 350 movies and TV shows until I got hurt, but I lived in the suburbs. I lived in the Valley in Los Angeles. I'm a baby boomer. That's my generation that I come from. And a lot of people don't realize the suburbs were actually invented by the baby boomers. Not by them specifically, but by their parents. Because after World War II, uh, all the soldiers started coming home from the war. And that's why they call the baby boomers the baby boomers. Because at that time, over 10,000 babies a day were being born. Now, when you have that many people being added to the population, right, you've got to 
put him someplace. <laughs> That's when the suburbs came into being. Yeah, and do you think that it is mostly just necessity that created the suburbs or do we know whether or not looking for more space had something to do with it? Well, it's a little of both. It's it's definitely necessity because you had to put people someplace, but wanting space, wanting to get out of the cities, wanting to, you know, have the house with the white picket fence and, and raising a family. I mean, there was a lot of kids. That lifestyle was, was very attractive because it was the American dream to have your own home. So they went out and they, they got the space. Now, since then, obviously, the suburbs have changed dramatically over the years. Great example. You're seeing a lot of a lot of communities that are self-contained. One of the ones that people probably know the most about is the, the community of Celebration here in Florida. Uh, that, that originally was a Disney plan to have a self-contained community, kind of on the Epcot idea. Now, I personally know about Celebration because my wife and I went into the lottery to be able to buy a house when they were first planning the community. We loved the idea of it. And uh, we actually got picked to buy a house. And after a discussion, we decided not to do it. And the, the one thing that kept us from doing it was the fact that you had to be approved by Disney to be a buyer, number one, which we were. That's why we were picked. But you had to have your buyer, if you decided to sell your house, they had to be approved by Disney. And that was something that I couldn't, I couldn't phantom. I couldn't have that restriction in case I ever wanted to sell my house. So that was the plan. Well, as time goes by, Disney ended up selling all interest in that community. They're no longer involved. The community's there. It's a nice community, self-contained. That was kind of a long way to get to my point. Now we're seeing those types of communities, that type of suburb being built everywhere, all self-contained. And when I say self-contained, I'm talking about not only do they have the houses, but they all have a grocery store. They all have a bank. They all have their schools. But it's all in that one little community. So you don't have to leave your community if you don't want to. One clarification, even going back to when you mentioned Epcot, my wife, which I've mentioned many times on the show, is a Disney fiend. So for those that don't have a resident Disney expert, people may not know that the original idea of Epcot was to be a community, like a future living community. I'm going to get some of these details wrong, but as much self-contained as it could be, as much futuristic technology. And my understanding is I think when Walt Disney died is when it probably shifted to what it is now. There's the cultural aspect of it, but Hey, it's one of the other parks <laughs> at Disney World. And then Celebration was supposed to be that then next future living, self-contained. And then, of course, it didn't happen as well for folks that were not aware of that. I remember in, in the early days it, when going to Epcot, they used to have the living in the future exhibit in Epcot. And then you could walk to this house and this house had you know, everything, uh, the computerized refrigerators and all, you know, the whole plan of the Epcot idea. And that's funny. And isn't it funny how humans can kind of change the plans? Because <laughs> that's what happened at Celebration. They had the human element come in. It wasn't just the, this is a great idea. Now we have actual people living here and people like me who didn't buy because we didn't want to have the Disney, you know, approval before we can sell. So that was the human element that came in. The reason why I think I I'm curious of the beginning of the suburbs necessity as compared to want. I, I think that when you 
hear about urban living, which these self-contained plans, I know in my suburbs, they are continuing to build condos, townhomes right next to grocery stores, things like that. None of that sounds like necessity, of course, and frankly, it's not. In <laughs> uh, a lot of times, suburbs can certainly get a bad rap for almost looking like you're trying to wall yourself off or become self-containing, like you're you're closed off from the west of the world. And let's be honest, if I go back to the Disney piece, they certainly have to fight that same reputation. So it would be interesting to know if that was not the, really the original purpose. I don't know. You, you might be onto something there because, you know, Disney now does have a self-contained community on Disney property. I've not been there, but I think the cheapest house is like $2.5 million. You've got to have some money to live in this community on Disney property. It's there. <laughs> you, you Again, you must be speaking to my wife because no joke, this past week, she happened to refer me to an article about that specific community. I forget what it's called, <laughs> but you're right. It's like two and a half million dollars is the cheapest <laughs> cheapest thing you can get. And I want to say it's maybe 1,500 square foot condo. <laughs> right. Exactly. You brought up another good point, Greg, about how urban communities are starting, you know, the, the suburbs. They're building, you know, apartment and townhouses right across from the grocery store, trying to make it like an urban living situation like you're downtown. And I do think that people are not out of necessity, but out of want and desire to wall themselves off. And, and not just in these communities. I have to admit, I live in a gated community. There's a guard at our gate. Not that I wanted that, but my wife did. Just because she's afraid of how society is sometimes. But we have that. Now, if you go to a different level, there's a lot of those gated communities, by the way, where I live. That's building a wall around your house, basically. Not only here, but I remember when I was living in Los Angeles. Take a trip through Beverly Hills or Bel Air. I mean, all of those houses have walls around them. People want that security. We just went for the first time about 18 months ago to LA. That was that was my first time. And you're right. I had no idea what to expect. But man, <laughs> you can't see a whole lot of anything. I'm kind of surprised people want to do the star tours because, wow, that really big gate with those giant hedges and the tops of roofs are really exciting. <laughs> but, uh, Look behind that bush. That's where J-Lo lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, we spent our time doing some other things, needless to say. <laughs> yeah, if you can afford it, you wall yourself off. That's just how people are. Again, it's the human part of this. I think the reason why we're probably both comparing that current shift to take the urban living, I'm using air quotes when I say that, and bringing it out to the suburbs is it's trying to bring in the best of both worlds. And it's extra interesting right now because that community piece can be harder in the suburbs. There is also a stereotype of, I barely know my neighbor down the street because you sort of drive out of your house, go to work, come back. Maybe you wave to somebody here and there, but you don't really know them that well as compared to urban living. Hopefully you're living amongst the people with the current COVID situation, is that going to be a failure? There is definitely chatter of people that can't afford it coming out of cities so that uh, they're not in such close proximity, remote work being what it is, so on and so forth. Do you have any thoughts about where 
these current projects are going to go that are trying to create urban living out in the suburbs? Do you think they'll continue? Or do you think maybe what we're seeing with COVID lockdowns might start to curb those kinds of developments? There's two different answers to that. We'll start with one before we get to the COVID side of things. But I think there's a financial reason for bringing the urban style to the suburbs. I think that these developers, they look at the urban lifestyle, the high rises that are downtown, and they see how much money that that they can sell these condos for and and the people who go into them. And so they're kind of hoping that they can draw those same people into the suburbs because you have suburban living now without the downtown feel, but you're still close to everything. I think that it's financial is one of the reasons that they're doing it. They're, They're wanting to bring in a higher class of people to build these communities up. And of course, these are all my thoughts, but I'm pretty good at this. (laughs) Going back to the generational piece, if you look at millennials, I think they're probably the first generation to almost outright reject (laughs) the traditional suburbs and want to stay in city living as long as possible. Do you think that's another reason why these kinds of living situations are being put up to sort of draw them out (laughs) of the city while they have some of the same feel? Absolutely. Now, let me let me first, I'm going to start this, Greg, by giving you my definition of all the five generations. And then we're going to talk about why the baby boomers are kind of the important ones, but not for much longer. But let me just give you the five that are on the planet right now. We have the, the what we call the traditional generation or the silent generation. That's our elderly people. That's the people that a lot of them are living in assisted living facilities now, but they're our oldest generation. The one thing about that generation is that they're very polite. You know, they're the generation that always said, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and please and thank you. That was their vocabulary. You know, you don't drop an F-bomb on that generation because they won't appreciate it. Then you have the baby boomers, my generation. Now, the thing about the baby boomers and why this is important to what we're discussing about living in suburbia or urban living is baby boomers generally are a greedy bunch. When they were raised, remember, their parents came from the Great Depression era. So they only got one present for their birthday or one gift at Christmas time. So that made them want more. And as they grew, they became very greedy. You know, they wanted money and they wanted power. That's why they are the ones that buy these big super mansions when they can. They have the six cars in their garage because it's all about not keeping up with the Joneses. It's about surpassing the Joneses. That's that generation. Generation X, which is the generation that came next, they're very independent. Now, they were also called latchkey kids. They're the first generation that when they came home from school, mom and dad were both not home because mom and dad were both working. You know, they remember they wanted more. They wanted to make more. So they were gone. So this generation came home. There was nobody there. They learned to cook. They learned to clean. They learned to deal with crisis. But it made them very independent. With the, with the generation X, you've always got to give them a choice. It's an either or thing with them. Then you get the millennials. Now, the millennials are the largest generation on the planet right now. There's more of them than anybody else. Yes, we want to draw them into, if if I'm a developer and I've got a community I'm building, I'd love to get them out of downtown and into the the suburbs. And you're going to start to see that happen as they start having families of their own. And that's coming very soon. I think the oldest millennial right now is like 35 or 36 years old. So you're you're starting to see millennials settling down a little bit in, in creating their own families. And as that happens, that's when you can draw them into the suburbs. But if they're not, if they're 
still single and on their own, they'd rather be where the action is, so to speak. Now, again, as a marketer, you've got to learn how you're going to deal with millennials. You've got to talk their language. You need to use hashtags. You need to text message because that's the way they communicate. So those are the kind of things that you need to learn about them. But then we have the last generation, Generation Z. A lot of people don't think about them right now because they're not really, they don't have the financial means behind them. They're still on mom and dad's wallet a lot. But the oldest Generation Z is about 22. So they're going to start coming up in the world. There's a lot of them. But here's the thing about them that you have to know. And this is where those apartments and townhouses that are being built across from the grocery store really count. Because Generation Z has never been alive without Amazon. They've always had things delivered to them. They don't. It, convenience is their middle name. They, they want it very convenient. They don't want to have to go anywhere. So if you have a, a townhouse that you can move them into that's across the street from that grocery store, they're very happy about that. That's my five-generation philosophy for you. The first one that I'm going to jump to is the baby boomers. I love throwing shade at my parents with the classical definition of baby boomers, just like you said. And when I went through marketing classes in college. They are the ones that want the image. One thing I will say is any of the typical beer commercials, right? When you break it down, old style American lager, your Miller, your Coors, your Budweiser, there's nothing to do with the product actually being a differentiator from the other products because they pretty much are all the same thing. It's all about image and status. Yes, (laughs) I think that grew out of... (laughs) The definitions of the baby boomer generation, uh, and we do not do politics here at all, but whenever things like the deficit or so on come on, I'll always razz them as well. Like, yeah, look at you baby boomers, just spend, 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 and you know, wanting this and wanting that. And I always tell people, especially like in my book, when I go into these things, I, I always talk about, listen, I'm not saying anything's good or bad. It's not, I'm not making a judgment call. It just is. And that's just kind of how the way they are. And again, I I agree with you. I don't get into politics, but I will say this about the generation. In in politics right now, and it doesn't matter which party you belong to, it's run by baby boomers. Almost everybody in there is a baby boomer. And they all have that same mentality of power and greed. I think we're going to see a big shift in our politics. Well, we already are, but we're going to see a big shift because, you know, who's going to replace them? Millennials. Because millennials are educated. And you're already starting to see it. I think in the last election, we saw a lot of millennials getting voted into Congress. But you're going to see more of that. Because remember, to run for president, you need to be 35 years old. The oldest millennial right now is 35 years old. So I think that that I think Generation X kind of gets skipped in this whole thing because baby boomers are retiring. They're they're dying. I mean, they're getting older. They're going to be moving out of those positions. And I think millennials will be moving in, which personally I think is a good idea because I raised three millennial girls and I think I'm pretty proud of millennials. (laughs) Yeah, I think have certainly had a lot to go through when I was first coming out of school. I managed to get a couple years into the workforce before 2008 occurred and everything went down. But obviously that was not that long ago. Uh, And other people right in the middle of the millennial generation came out of school right when that happened. And here we are uh, 10 years later, a little bit over 10 years, facing a potential similar event occurring. As you and I sit and are talking, we could see a V-shaped recovery. That's a very big 
if it's a big if, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> to say the least, that is a very, very big if. Uh, there is also just as much likelihood that we're going to see a significant drop again, and is a lot to be able to take in economically speaking. And of course, to say nothing about COVID and the number of cases. I guess back to that, uh, the second part of that question, because you asked was about COVID and how that's going to affect the living in the suburbs. Um, I do believe that, you know, the universe has a funny way of, of making things work out in the way it wants to. Um, I think that that will cause another big move to the suburbs because, and into houses, not so much the townhouses and apartments, because people do want to isolate. We haven't seen this before in our lifetime. I mean, it's not the first time it's happened. Obviously, the Spanish flu back in 1918 was a big thing for them, but that's not in our lifetime. So we've never seen this before. We've never had Disney closed down. What? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so it, this did scare people. And I think that that is going to be something that's going to cause them to move out to the suburbs again. Uh, speaking of which, I just read this morning that motorhome sales are up. People are buying motorhomes because when they vacation, they don't want to go to hotels. They want to go in their motorhome, stay in a campground, again, isolating themselves. I think that's straight towards COVID-19, and that's the reason for that. There also seems to be quite the distinction between the haves and have-nots company-wise. For example, again, when we saw some uptick in the stock market last week. Most of what I read is, well, it's the giant technology companies that you would imagine, the Facebooks, the Amazon, uh, and so on. And, and you forget how much <laughs> market they take up uh, compared to another handful of companies like retailers, let's say that, of course, just are getting trounced. So whenever those technology companies go up, they can actually carry and float the market. So yeah, there is a dichotomy in haves and have-nots depending on the industry that you happen to be in right now. Sticking with that topic, what do you think should be some of the strategies, especially for small businesses? It goes without saying that Commercial real estate at the moment is probably a detriment to any type of company. So that's something to be looked at. But what overall are you feeling like would be the advice for either a company that is struggling right now that has some years under its belt or even a company that is getting ready to get started or a person that's trying to figure out a certain industry to get into? Again, it depends on the industry, but for instance, let's talk about service industries like restaurants and things like that. The one thing that they're going to have to do is understand that people are afraid. So you need to have the uh, appearance that you're a safe place to do business with. My wife and I have been isolated like everybody else. I think three months we've been not gone anywhere. We've been home. So we finally decided because they're opening up our state. I live in Florida, so they're opening up our state a little bit. So we just, there's a little restaurant that we love. And it's right on the water over near uh, where the cruise ships are in Port Canaveral. So we decided to go and eat there, and they, we knew they were open. So when we walked in, every other table was closed. So they were using the separation, which we liked. But here's what I enjoyed. As I'm sitting there eating my lunch, the table, two tables over had gotten up and left. Well, they brought one of their servers and they were armed to the teeth with disinfectants. And they scrubbed down that table and scrubbed down those chairs. 
And I think that, number one, it's good because they're making sure everything is safe. But I think it's more for the visual, for the people there to see that they're taking it seriously and they're going to keep it safe for their customers. That was enough for me to want to go back and eat there again, you know, if that makes sense. So the appearance is one of the main things. Um, you're going to have other businesses, and this is big retailers and small mom and pop. Anything to do with hardware is going to do well. And we saw that during COVID because those stores, I, I've never seen so many people in my neighborhood fixing up their yard, repainting the house. I mean, they're, they're doing things because that was something they could do in isolation, but that meant that there was a lot of business happening over at Lowe's or Home Depot or Ace or, you know, mom and pop hardware stores and supplies. So that's important too. I think that businesses need to start looking not just at the COVID because this will pass. It, just like it did back in the Spanish flu days. This It's going to take a little time, but this will pass. I think that businesses need to start thinking about who their customer actually is, and it's not necessarily the baby boomer who has all the money right now. I would start looking more toward the millennials and the Generation Z and figuring out ways that I can market to them because that is their future. And if you can start thinking about that now, you'll be a, a step ahead of the game. What do you think about home services? I'll give you a couple examples that I've seen creep up. Personal uh, trainers being able to go from house to house because the gyms are closed. And that's something that you can do there. Uh, personal finances, depending on the type of advisor you have anyway, they might already just come to you, but they don't have to have a, a brick and mortar. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of other examples where people could get creative and say, yeah, this was a brick and mortar business up until this point, but hey, there could really be an opportunity for at home, basically taking the Amazon model of retail and turning it into a different type of model. Do you see that taking hold? Has it taken hold in your area at all? I will tell you this. My pool guy and my yard guy have not been out of work since this whole thing started. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing killer business. Uh, they, I don't think they were affected at all. I mean, other than the fact that they had to stay home too and wear masks outside. But, but other than that, their business didn't hurt at all. I think things like personal trainers, again, it comes down to a financial issue. Remember, people are out of work and they're not making money. So I don't see them spending money on things like a personal trainer coming to your house. I, I don't know if that's a model that's actually going to work right now. Here's what I do see an increase in. Online activity, whether it's an online course or an online uh, challenge, I'm seeing a lot more online. People are getting very creative on how to do business online, virtual. Zoom's probably had more business in the last four months than it's had since its creation, you know, of people using that, that platform so that they can have meetings. I know that my oldest daughter, she works for a company, a financial company, and she's been working from home. And they use Zoom and Skype for having their meetings and, and doing all their business. She hasn't been to the office in three months, although she's working every single day. So I think you're going to see a lot more virtual happening. So anything that uh, somebody that's looking to get into a business of any kind, think about what you can do online, um, whatever that is. But educate yourself and do it right. Don't don't be one of those overnight I call them scammers where they just try to make money immediately. I mean, there's a whole business plan that you have to have when you go on to the online world. I mean, you're going to use social media, you better be social, not salesy, but social. So there's things like that that people need to know. This is just conjecture on my part, but 
hey, maybe if you can help other businesses transition to online, that's going to be something that will very much be in the forefront probably forever. You've hit the nail on the head. Anytime you can sell the picks and the shovels to the people, I mean, then you've got the right business. But helping brick and mortar businesses transcend to the online world is going to be huge. And, And there's some brilliant people online that, and I always believe nobody comes up with something all on their own. There's always somebody that's done something similar before. But if you can model the people that are doing the right thing, and you know, I'll throw some names out there that I, I'm, I'm talking about. One is Russell Brunson in the whole ClickFunnels. And you know, it used to be everyone at a website. Well, Russell Brunson came along and said, websites, they have a purpose, but not if you're going to be in business and you want to sell. You need to have a, a funnel. And that's just a bunch of websites that take you from one site to the next site to the next site. But you kind of walk them down that path. And he was the best at it. And he came up and he created ClickFunnels, which is a great company. Um, you've got people like Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi. And they've got that new KVB course, the, the Knowledge Broker Blueprint or Knowledge Business Blueprint. I forget what the other B stands for. But, but they're teaching people how to become knowledge brokers and how to do online courses. Uh, Danny Enney from Miracy. He's got an online course creation. Uh, I think it's called the Course Builders something, management or something. But anyway, these are guys that are good at what they do, and they are teaching people how to do what they do. And I think that you know, no matter what business you're in, even if it's in brick and mortar, you need to model the guy that succeeds. Because if you do that, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Sticking with these trends and millennials – as we've acknowledged, millennials are very much savvy online, want to know what value you are bringing to them right up front and are not that interested in the showiness, if you will, of what they're doing. And then with the necessity of what we're seeing now, which probably will accelerate what was going to happen anyway of remote work, those kinds of things. Do you think that that is a good thing, bad thing, or I guess just inevitable that uh, being able to shift to these more online ways of doing business could be a negative or positive impact to the way society is going to function. I always think everything is a good thing. I mean, I'm, I am the consummate positive thinker. I, I, I didn't, everything happens for a reason and it's inevitable. You, like you said, I think that it's inevitable. It was inevitable to go online. Uh, certain things have caused it to move a little bit faster like the COVID-19, but it was, it was going there anyway. I think it's a good thing. I think it's tough for people like me. I'm a baby boomer again. There's things I can't do on the computer. So I ask my kids how to do it and they show me. Sometimes I feel a little frustrated because I'm not able to do it myself. However, I'm the old guy. I'm, I'm, I got to make room for these new people who are coming up and and they know what's happening there. They know uh, all about technology and how to use it to their advantage. Now they can use a little guidance sometimes uh, from dad <laughs> on, on just business matters because business is business. Doesn't matter what generation you're from. Um, yeah. You know that that's still business is business, and so I can teach them some some things in business. But let me give you a quick little story, if I can, about how a millennial changed my business. And, and so uh, I went to New Orleans. And I was at the Lafayette Cemetery in the Garden District. Talk about a, a suburb. Garden District's beautiful. The cemetery was very cool. Old tombstones falling apart. I mean, it, that you can just feel the history dripping off of this cemetery. But I had no idea who the people 
that were buried there were. All I knew was that Anne Rice wrote books and she included this cemetery in her books. <laughs> so that's why I went to visit it. Um, but I had no idea who was buried there. So I, I got my phone out and I, I did a search for Lafayette Cemetery. Well, the return on my search was all of these tour companies wanting to sell me a tour. It was like 20 bucks a person that they would give you a tour of that cemetery. And I, I typed in free information, Lafayette Cemetery. And other than saying it was in the Garden District, it really gave me no information. And I thought to myself, boy, in today's day and age, your phone can't be your tour guide. And then I went, oh, that's a great idea. So for the next two years, I researched New Orleans, all of the locations, the history, and I created an app. And it's called New Orleans at Your Feet. You can get it on Apple. You can get it on Google. If you ever visit New Orleans, you should get my app. Anyway, the whole idea was now I wanted to make your phone a tour guide. On my app, you can do a French Quarter tour, you can do a ghost tour, and you can do a garden district tour, which does include the Lafayette Cemetery. <laughs> now, price, $2.99. I mean, it's cheap, right? But, but what a brilliant idea. I knew that. So I'm having a discussion with my brother-in-law, and I'm talking about the marketing. And I said, I got a great idea. Here's what I want to do. I want to go to the uh, New Orleans airport and I want to buy three billboards. The first billboard, when you get off the plane, it's going to have our logo of our feet walking and it's going to say baggage claim this way. And then when you get halfway to baggage claim, there's another billboard with our feet that are walking and it says you're almost there. And as you go down the escalator to baggage claim on that big digital board in front of you, it says you let us get you this far. Let us show you the rest of the city. New Orleans at your feet. Apple, Google. Great idea, right? I'm following, yeah. If I could have afforded the $25,000 a week that that airport wanted for that ad, <laughs> I'd have done it. <laughs> anyway, so that's the, the story that I was, my brother and I were talking about marketing. Well, I had no idea that his son was listening to the conversation. His son's a millennial. Now, millennials are smart. Millennials are educated. His son is in the United States Navy. He's 29 years old. But he's in the Navy, and he is a nuclear a physicist. <laughs> he knows. He's smart. He looks at me, and he goes, Unc, I got to be honest with you. I wouldn't download that app. Now, my baby boomer heart almost stopped because I just spent a couple of years building it. Right. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, you know, I'm all about technology, and I always have my phone with me. But I really don't want to follow a, a point A to point B tour. I'd rather just walk around the city and whenever I'm near something cool, have my phone text me and I can hit a button that tells me all about where I'm standing. So we created a fourth tour. It's called the Geo Tour and we use geofencing. So as you walk around New Orleans and you get near one of our locations, your phone will buzz you and then you will be able to see where you're standing and, and the history of where that is. It is our number one selling tour on the app. I had to listen to a millennial. Otherwise, that never would have been there. Yeah, that is a great comparison of the differences between generations. It reminds me of when I first started planning my own vacations. And yeah, we'd have like a rough outline of what we were going to do. I mentioned my Los Angeles and we went to San Diego vacation and that was exactly it. We knew with young kids we were going to do things like the San Diego Zoo or go take a look at all the, the stars in, in Hollywood and the signs. And, but that was about it from there. We're just walking from place to place, especially restaurants. It's like, yeah, we'll sort of get an idea of what we want and whatever catches our eye, we'll go and do comparing that to when I was little and we would go to 
like a civil war battlefield, right? Right. <laughs> Something like that where you were there to learn, to take in everything <laughs> that you possibly can get and very regimented. <laughs> so there is a big, big difference there. So that is a great way to highlight the difference in perspectives. And actually what you just described spoke to me exactly. Yeah. That, okay, if I'm going by something and there's uh, something I might miss and my phone can tell me about it, that really is a great idea. Yeah. Has always been the plight of millennials, right? Don't discount us. I, I am partial to millennials. Like I said, I, I have three daughters, all three are millennials, but that's not why I'm so partial to them. Here's why I'm partial. Again, from a baby boomer's perspective, and, and, and not to get political at all, but I know the greed and I know the power that baby boomers love. But I also know the prejudices that baby boomers have because of the way they were raised. Not that it's a good or a bad thing. It's just the way they're raised. Millennials, on the other hand, are all encompassing. They have a lot of friends. They like people and they like all people. They don't care about the color of your skin. They don't care about your sexual orientation. They don't care about your religious beliefs. They like people, period. And I think, remember I said before that the millennials are going to take over the uh, power positions in the government. I think that when they do, we're going to have a more peaceful world. Because they're going to be more tolerant. Something I mention often on the show is when I started a podcast, I wanted to put out things that would help people obviously learn things myself. The benefit that I've had that I didn't necessarily know I was going to, that's probably my favorite, is meeting people all over the world. And we do have a focus on travel. I tell any and everybody that'll listen that... When you're spending money, don't spend it on stuff. Spend it on experiences. And in my opinion, travel is one of the best ways that you can do that. And yeah, then you can see what other people do in their culture. You can compare it to your own perspective just to either look inwardly to say, hey, are the things I'm doing day over day worth doing? Do I need to reevaluate how my life is going? Or it can even more strengthen the perspective that you have and also, of course, make you as thankful uh, as possible for the things that you do have in your life. So yeah, speaking as I guess the oldest of the millennial generation, I also would say that I fall into that category of Yep. Let me meet anybody and everybody and hear what their perspectives are, which once uh, th- there is a power shift, as you're talking about, <laughs> hopefully does permeate into the larger sort of cultural norms and, and pop- popular culture. Yes. And I agree with you, too, that experiences are probably a, a whole lot more valuable than things. I mean, just because and be able to travel. I have some friends. I have a lot of friends, uh, matter of fact, who and this is a business that's also hurting. They travel the whole country as vendors selling their wares at fairs and festivals and, you know, uh, little three-day art shows and on the weekends. But they're, all of those have been canceled. These guys are out of work. There's a big population. But one of the things that they, that they all say is that because they travel and they see all the different states and they spend time there and they get to visit, that it's the best part of their job. You know, the job itself is making money by selling their wares, but that's not what's most fun for them. What's most fun for them is going and seeing the Grand Canyon or, you know, Mount Rushmore because they're in that area doing a festival or a fair. Um, but they're out of that work and just that's, that's too bad. But the experience that they get 
is part of their job is, is a beautiful thing. I hope that it gets back to normal for them very soon. Let me switch us a little bit to another trend that I think is probably uniquely millennial in the focus on the environment and also would have a direct link to suburbs up until this point. One of the other factors for people staying in the cities or moving into the cities is conscientiousness for the environment and not having an hour long commute in your car that you're adding to carbon emissions and so on. Now with people probably valuing space based on what we know and one of the things I cannot wait for are autonomous vehicles and hopefully as electric vehicles become more and more common. I just read an article this week. I forget who the person was, but it was another billionaire who's interested in the high-speed trains going from place to place. Do you foresee that? Also becoming more and more prevalent. Do you think that that would be a reason for people to be more interested in the suburbs? Because as transportation in particular might become less of an impact on the environment, uh, you wouldn't have that burden or consideration. Or do you think that's going to move too slow that that actually will be a hindrance for uh, suburban living as as opposed to continued city living? There's no doubt about it. It's coming. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I'm so happy that it is. We've uh, we've done so many things to mess up this planet right now. And, I, you know, no, no matter what anybody's belief is on global warming, the fact of the matter is ice caps are melting. Uh, the, the planet is having a, a well, it may be doing it. If we, even if we weren't here, it might have been doing the same thing. Who knows? But we need to get green. We need to make sure. Uh, I have a friend of mine who has a uh, Model S Tesla. And I'd never been in a Tesla before, and I was having lunch with him uh, in this little community that's self-contained right next to where I live. And we're down with lunch. He goes, hey, you want to go for a ride in my, my Tesla? And I said, I'd love to. I've never been in a Tesla before. He goes, okay. So we, we step outside the restaurant. He gets his phone out, and he taps on his phone, and the car across the street backs up, pulls out, does a U-turn, and comes up. And there's no driver. It's his car. He called his car and his car came to him. <laughs> he, we get in the car and he goes, now you notice there's no sound because there's no engine. And, he, and we're, we're driving. And then he turned on the autopilot and he goes, this car has cameras all around it. It can see everything. It sees the, the white lines on the road. So it stays in the lane. You set a certain speed limit. If the car comes up to a car in front of it and that car is going slower than the speed limit, the car, the Tesla slowed down to keep enough space between him and the car in front of him. And then when it was safe, the car pulled over and passed the car again without him doing anything. The car did it by itself. And I was like, this is I got to have one of these. <laughs> I got to have one of these. But right now there are still some bugs um, and Tesla. They those cars could be fully autonomous. However, they won't be because Tesla has to flip a switch on their master computer to let that car do it. And they can't do that yet. They can't do it until the cities allow it to happen because the car has to be able to read stoplights and stop signs and yield signs. And it's got to do all that other stuff, too, which is coming. It's all coming. Um, but but after experiencing it, I, I and, and I look around, I always try to be observant I look around what's happening in at the grocery store. 
there are lanes that you can park in. You can only park there if you have an electric car because they have a, a charging station. The airport, there's a whole row of, of charging stations for cars that are electric, and you can only park there if you're an electric car. So I think we're seeing more and more of that. And he told me on that Tesla that the computer on board, it knows where the closest charging station is. And it tells you how much time you have left on your battery. Uh, and, it, and it'll tell you how many charging stations are at this location, how many are being used, if there's any free right now, and how long it will take you to charge that car. So if you want to have lunch, if you know it's 40 minutes to charge the car, you can park, go and have lunch and come back and your car is charged. We're starting to see more and more of that. Now, here's the flip side of that. Um, here in Orlando, uh, you know, I'm a veteran I, from the Army, and I go to the VA. And we have a VA hospital, and it's in Medical City. There's a bunch of hospitals in there. Well, I'm driving to go to, a v, uh, to see my doctor, and there is a trolley in front of me that's autonomous. There's no driver, but it's going 10 miles an hour. And there's like a line of cars behind it because you can't you can't pass it. It's a two lane little highway. And and so that's the drawback. They've got to get these things to move a little bit faster. <laughs> and they're doing it because of safety, I'm sure. Ken, I swear maybe we were living parallel conversations this week, even before our discussion now, because a little bit in that same topic, I was chatting about the autonomous vehicles and I tell everybody that I cannot wait for them. For example, my parents live about six hours away. It is mostly back roads. So we have the decision of, do we leave right after work on a Friday when we're going to visit? And then you get in, you know, at 11 o'clock at best, probably more like midnight. Kids are off their schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you wait until the morning? And I'm saying, I cannot wait for, yes, we will go right after work. We'll put in the location, sit in the back, however they have it set up when it's autonomous, I'm going to go to sleep and get there. And my point for that in whoever I was speaking with was talking about, yeah, speeds and what would be dangerous and what would not be dangerous, especially for the highway, like changing lanes. How well could that work and not work? And my answer was, I don't want it to ever get out of the right-hand lane on the interstate because I'm not driving if I'm sleeping <laughs> during that trip. <laughs> I don't want it to go yeah, 10 miles an hour, but I don't need to go like five miles above the speed limit or anything like that. It can just stay where it's at. I'm going to pack my lunch, for example, <laughs> and not have to pull off to the side of the road. And I'm still getting further and further down. So, yeah, it is a consideration, I guess, that it can't be too slow. But I met Milton Burrell years and years ago, and he said, you know how you beat stress? And I said, how? And he says, get a limousine and a driver. <laughs> he goes, that's how you beat stress. Don't ever worry about the road. Just sit in the back. That's what I want to do now, that we can have cars that can do this for us. Here's the other interesting thing about that Tesla, though. When, we were, when he had it on self-autopilot, about every 30 seconds or 45 seconds, there's a light that comes on on the dash. And that light is to remind you to touch the steering wheel. Because if you don't touch the steering wheel, the car thinks you fell asleep. And if it thinks you fell asleep and you don't touch the steering wheel, it pulls itself over to the side of the road and stops. So the car is being making sure that you're still a a awake. <laughs> yeah. Actually, even my car has a little bit of that functionality. It's not 
as intuitive as the Tesla is. I've not gotten to ride in one yet, but uh, based on all the stories I've heard, but you got to do it, man. You get just go down to the Tesla dealership and take a test drive, just because you got to do it. It's just amazing. Well, here's the other thing he told me about it, and and I think this is the future too for everybody and everything, including those smart homes that I'm talking about that they should put into the suburbs. Um, he says his car, it's like getting a brand new car every month. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, they do an update on the computers every month. And he goes, my car is like a brand new car every month. There's new features that are added to it. And it's all done remotely by computer. If you break down in a Tesla, they can fix it remotely by a computer. It, it's amazing. It's all computerized. It's you are actually driving your, your, your smartphone. <laughs> it's what you're doing. It's it's just amazing, but that's hey, that's the future. That's where we're headed. I think the other thing about it that we got to look at, like you were talking about, how long it takes to get to your parents, is the speed factor. One of the things that we as humans do is we are in a, such a hurry. You know, everything has to be fast. Um, they're, they're trying to get faster airplanes, faster trains, faster this because we want to get someplace quickly. And I get that. I mean, time is very valuable, but. I think we need to sometimes just slow down a little bit. Even tying back to the future of suburbia episode that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that was my hope for the future, putting together flexibility for work, which wrapping this into the business piece, I think the businesses that can help with that kind of flexibility, as we've talked about, uh, or are employers that allow for that kind of flexibility um, combined with love of travel, love of culture. Anybody that I speak to that does a lot of traveling says to really, really get a feel for place, you know, the, the breakneck speed of a weeks of vacation and see as much as you possibly can. Yeah. You're seeing the touristy stuff, but you're not really getting a total feel for that area uh, like you would if you got to spend let's say a month there or something like that. So not that you would be able to spend a month, but gosh, if you could take two weeks and work here and there and then go see what the town has to offer the area, wherever you're happening to be um, and making use of your time and actually slowing down a little bit, even with your vacation, as well as your work, uh, I think that would really be ideal. And, you know, hopefully that is what's coming, which will be technology enabled and, just like the example you talked about for how a business cleans up after somebody leaves a table that leaves an impression. I think similarly, how they treat the environment would leave an impression. Flexibility, like I mentioned, would leave an impression and kind of continues us on that trend so people can enjoy the things they're doing. I think that that's uh, exactly right. And that's the silver lining to becoming better and better of working on the computer and working virtually because now. You can take your laptop, go ahead and slow down, travel, visit someplace, but you can do all your work right from there. I mean, it's it's the nice thing about knowing how to use a virtual business. Who knows what's going to happen with schools in the future? And I am all about face-to-face, -face, but gosh, if we continue to not be able to find uh, some sort of normalcy there, who knows <laughs> if kids are being taught at home for an extended period, maybe even they go with you <laughs> from place to place. That's a very, very good observation because we are going to see a difference there. 
I think you're going to see a lot more virtual school. You're going to see the homeschool market grow. The one biggest objection to homeschooling and virtual schooling is that there's no social interaction. Kids can't socialize because they're not with other kids. Well, that's not so true anymore because of social media. They're not physically close to kids, but they've got a lot of friends online and there's a lot of social media activity going on. So there is that social aspect still, but I think you're going to see more and more of that. Now, my wife is a retired school teacher. She's taught seventh grade. Bless her heart. I mean, she was certified to teach through 12th and she chose seventh because she said that's what the kids needed her the most. And she was right. Just it was a stressful (laughs) as well. Um, However, the school system, as we know it, they don't pay the teachers enough. Number one, the school system itself is kind of a broken model. It's it's the old World War II model, putting kids in rows and stuff like that. So that has to change. And I think the virtual school is one of the ways that they're going to change that. Maybe a little bit of the uh, school of life <laughs> may set in a little bit that I think could really be a good thing uh, to mix in with the traditional education, but also gaining perspective. Well, Steve, before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about what you do and the uh, services that you offer to your clients, also your book, your podcast. Do you want to go ahead and give folks an outline of your coaching services? What type of business would benefit from bringing you on as a coach? Any business that has a sales force or a marketing department is a business that I can coach. And I I did that for the last five years. I've been actually traveling around the country doing two-day boot camps on copywriting and business writing. But copywriting, everybody has to have copywriting. I mean, that's a headline, a lead, uh, a body, and a call to action. It's it's any advertisement you see, whether it's a billboard, a piece of junk mail, a commercial on TV, all those are written by copywriters. And there is a a technique to it. So I, I train that. And so I can go into any business in their marketing department or their sales department, and I can talk to them about you know, the generations, how you uh, market to each of them, how uh, communication styles, what to look for. Do people want the details or do they just want the bullet points? Things like that is what I teach. My book is called Rearranging Change, How You Market to an Ever-Changing World. And one of the things about my book that's different than other books is that my book is entertaining to read. I believe you don't learn unless you're having fun. So I made my book fun. I teach a lot of great principles in marketing, but I make sure you have a good time as well. And by the way, for all of you listening out there, if you'd like a free copy of my book, now it's going to be a PDF. It's going to be an ebook for free. Just go to rearrangingchange.com. And you can just put your name and email address, and I will send you a return email with a PDF copy of that book. Um, it, now, just to be completely transparent, once you get that, you put your name and email and you get the, the, the ebook, the next page you go to, thanks to Russell Brunson, is going to be a page offering you the paperback copy of the book. But all you have to do is pay for the shipping and handling, which is $7.95. You don't have to do that. Just get the free one if you want. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time that you will go to that second page that offers the paperback copy for $7.95. It's up to you whether you want it or not. But anyway, so it's a free copy of the book. I also have a podcast under the same name, Rearranging Change Podcast. My podcast, uh, the first part of my podcast is always a marketing tip. We talk about certain elements of marketing. And then we have my buddy and partner, Ron Seggi, come on for the second half. And we always have a celebrity interview. In fact, this week's show, we just had Jimmy Fallon from The Tonight Show on. 
So uh, it's always a celebrity interview on the second half. So it's also a fun podcast. So those are the two things. You can get my coaching services. You can get my book. You can go listen to my podcast. And and you'll be the first to hear this, Greg. I I had spent some time as a hypnotist. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a stage hypnosis show where they bring people up on stage and they do funny things. I've seen them on TV. Yeah. Okay. I, I was one of those guys that did that. Um, but hypnosis is a very serious subject. So back in my hypnosis days, I always had a back of the room product. If you wanted to lose weight or you wanted to quit smoking or you wanted to gain more confidence. Well, I just pulled all that stuff out of the vault and I'm making brand new audios on that. And I will be offering those online as well. And very inexpensive. I want to help people more than get their money. I'm all about service. If I can be of service to you, believe me. Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough other people get what they want out of life, you're going to get everything you want out of life. And I truly believe that. So that's how I do business. So those are my big things. Oh, and the last thing you guys already heard about, I do have an app. If you ever visit New Orleans, it's New Orleans at your feet. We are planning on doing other cities. It just it takes a lot of lot of work to put all that together. But we're looking at doing Charleston and you know Savannah and Key West and places like that. But right now, it's just New Orleans. Very cool. And I can vouch for the podcast. Uh, even the marketing section is pretty fun, even before you get to the celebrity part. <laughs> so, uh, so make sure that folks give it a listen. And of course, we will put all of your information in the show notes so folks know how to get a hold of you get the free book and everything in between well steve i appreciate you taking time to talk to me today greg it's my pleasure and you as well my friend if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review on apple spotify google play or wherever you get podcasts if you'd like to be notified of future weekly episodes please hit the subscribe button If you'd like to help us even further, visit SuburbanFolk.com and you'll find a donate button where all the money goes back into the show for you. Thanks for listening. Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All the Time podcasting network with 12 other great podcasts. Head over to SuburbanFolk.com for links to their shows. We're also part of the Ring Media Network. Go to RingMedia.com to learn more. That's R-R-I-N-G Media.com.